Juleen Jackson. I am the National Vice President over Cottage Meetings for Moms for America. I am the mother of five living children, two little sons I lost in infancy, but I feel their little spirits just smiling down on me, cheering me on, because what we do as mothers is not easy. And, you know, those two little boys that I lost uh, in infancy really are my gifts from God. You know, at the time that you have to endure something hard, it feels like a bitter pill. But as time goes on and God heals your heart and you can see the beauty and, uh, you know, the trial and the beauty in those two little lives that came into my world for a short time. Uh, what a gift uh, those, those little boys are. So I live in Chevy Chase, Maryland, which is just about 15 minutes from downtown Washington, D.C. So last week was our maiden voyage, presentation number one, Anchored in Hope. So it was that whole idea that when mama can stay optimistic and confident, anchored in hope, she will have a, a great stabilizing effect on her family and in her community. Now, in these times of great uncertainty and division, that might be one of our hardest things is to stay anchored in hope. And um, we talked about last week, there are four things that we do to stay anchored in hope. Number one, we look to God for our freedoms, for our solutions, for guidance, for healing. We don't look to the nightly news. We don't look to Washington, D.C. We don't look to the president of the United States. We keep our gaze upward when we are discouraged and we're worried. Number two, we talked about making family time a high priority. You keep those kids close to you. You keep those grandchildren close to you. If there are some relationships that are kind of rocky, you get on your knees and you ask God how to heal those relationships of that close family circle. Um, and, and you keep those bonds of communication open so your children can come to you if they're worried or that they have a problem. Just yesterday, my darling little 21-year-old who was a senior um, in college called me and her little roommate that she's had the last few years, she's not her roommate anymore, is pregnant. She just, they just, she just found out. And little Mary Alice went and she's not married. And it's a man that probably is not worthy of her being him being the, the father or the husband, although I think she's open to it, but I'm, I'm not even sure he's going to be willing to marry this little gal that we've known. I've known this child since she was a young little girl. And my, um, my 21 year old daughter wanted to talk to me about, you know, the counsel and advice that, you know, that she should give this little friend. And this is a little friend that uh, doesn't have a church community and um, her parents are, are not speaking to her at the moment. <laughs> and so, you know, as me and my little daughter talked about, you know, how I said, Mary Alice, you're going to have to be the voice of God in her life. Thank God this little girl, abortion is not an option. She wants to keep that little babe or, you know, me and Mary Alice talked about. Uh, options for this little girl. And I said, Mary Alice, and Mary Alice, my daughter said, mom, I wish that she had someone like you in her life. And I said, Mary Alice, you are going to be going to have to be the voice of God for her right now, because she doesn't have that kind of stable stabilization in her life. And so, you know, you, you, we want to keep our kids close so they can come and they can counsel with you when real life uh, problems and situations occur and they're not quite sure how to handle it or how to counsel this her little girlfriend so you know I have three out of my five children have are out of the house uh, they're grown I have a 26 year old daughter who's married and a 20 23 year old son and a 20 year old 21 year old daughter who I just told you about and then two children a senior in high school at home and an eighth grader daughter at home so um I've uh, you, you'll hear me talk about this little devotional that I had through the years, an opportunity to bring the kids together and to teach them. But God put upon my heart as my kids began to leave the home to still send them a little devotional via text each day. So most mornings I send them a, a little quote and a scripture and then my testimony of, of what I've sent them. And then just some of the things that, you know, we're doing at the home, I'll send some pictures 
And so on Monday, I sent out the little devotional text. It was Christopher Columbus Day. And I just felt inspired to teach them via the text on the devotional about Christopher Columbus, because this is a man who's been so maligned and misconstrued by historians, modern day historians. And so I took the opportunity to, to put a little quote and to talk about, you know, the angel that appeared to him and, and told him, gave that quote out of John, other sheep, which I have, which are not of my fold, that God wanted him to go and take Christianity to parts of the world, you know, un, unknown or uh, at, from at that point. And so, you know, I came across a, a little idea or not an idea of truth here that, that has been said, a lie told once remains a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes truth. And this is what is happening with these men and women from history. Lies have, have been told against them and been told and told and told. And so, uh, you know, uh, one of the boys, my oldest boy, he goes to government school, <laughs> public school. They didn't even take Christopher Columbus Day off. And then my little girl who goes to a private school took, uh, which is telling, I think, took Christopher Columbus's day off. But mamas, if we don't know the true story and history of Christopher Columbus, or, or we forget it, or we just don't understand it, the propaganda messaging that has been told against him and our founding fathers over and over and over again for decades now, it will begin to create truth even when it is not true. And so I'm so glad that as we gather together, as we keep our family close and have opportunities to teach them the real story, uh, number three of being anchored is hope, in hope was we continue to learn and to study the constitution from the viewpoint of the founding fathers. And we learn the true stories and miracles of America so we can turn and correct the record and teach the true stories to our children. So mamas, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. You're here to learn these principles of liberty and freedom. You're here to learn the principles of the constitution that made America great. And then when you do those three things, our fourth thing is God will put it in your heart to do something, you know, whether that be just to continue to study and show up for your, our online cottage meeting, whether it's to start your own cottage meeting in your home, goodbye, sweetheart, once and for all, <laughs> whether it's to support a good candidate, to run for office, to, to attend your first school board meeting, to actually give a two minute testimony. It might be something as just as simple as making some changes in your home, beginning to pray with your children, beginning to have a, a, a Bible study with them, something God will put into your heart what to do is you do those four things to stay anchored in hope. Um, I did have an opportunity to meet one of our beautiful moms for America in the person. I feel like I know her because we've studied now together for about six months. I think Gerald, Gerald lives in um, uh, New Jersey and me and my husband were in New York city last weekend. So Gerald came up and we had wonderful dinner together in New York city. And Gerald said something really interesting to me. She has been studying um, with us for about six months on our online class. She's done the healing of America seminar. And then now our, our, our cottage meeting series. And she said, Julene, every week when you go through those four points and women would share, you know, what God has put upon their hearts to do. She said, I, I knew I always wanted to start this um, pilot program for healthy relationships and, and woven in into that is abstinence in an inner city in Newark, New Jersey, in which her mother actually attended. And um, Gerald, I hope I'm explaining this right, but this, this high school, she uh, was able to get a grant and to implement this program in their health classes. And it, the, the high school is one of the lowest graduating high schools in New Jersey. And so they're willing to, to try and do anything to help these kids uh, graduate. And it's been shown that if, if children will uh, get their education, 
will marry and then have children, they have a less than 2% chance of living in poverty. And so she's weaving in these principles in these classes. And she said, Julene, it was coming to the online classes each week and hearing these women and hearing the things that they were doing. That was the impetus for me to just finally do this. And this program is in place. And I believe it, it starts Monday and we are praying for its success, Gerald. So thank you for that, that story that you shared. I also, one of the mamas from Arkansas, Gloria, who I think is on online, I just happened in your Facebook feed, Gloria from Arkansas, one of our wonderful mamas that has studied with us from, I think, beginning in January, I saw a posting, she had a, a, a post of a Bible, and then on top of the of it, a book called The Lives of Our Signers, and she put a little blurb how she has a little devotion with her uh, children where they study the Bible and then she reads them a story from the life of the founders. And as I read that, that just pricked my heart. I was just, uh, so I can imagine all the mothers that see that and to witness your little testimony that you write under the picture, how that might inspire them to do that. So I just am, I just am so thrilled to see how God is putting upon your heart to do something, to do your part. And it will look different for for all of us, you know, as we ask God, well, what do you want me to do to try and shore up my family, my, my community, this nation? And as you keep praying that way, God will put ideas into your heart, into your mind, and you will, you will begin to do it. So, you know, doing these four things will help us to stay anchored and, and focused on solutions. And it will keep us looking upward instead of just ruminating on the problems that are ever before us. So in the chat, if any of you want to put any experience that you had with one of those four things to keep you anchored in hope uh, from last week, uh, normally in a cottage meeting, we'd, we'd say, you know, has anyone done anything this week? And there'd be some back and forth interaction. But with our group, put it in the chat and then we can discuss it at the end of our class today. So how do we combat these chaotic and confusing narratives in the schools and the universities and what's you know coming at us on TV and in the movies and social media, not to mention, you know, all the governmental agencies and, you know, these uh, officials and proven doctors and, and these kind of things that are, you know, uh, giving us instructions. Um, our, we'll have our first slide, Viv, from Winston Churchill. He said that great uh, British prime minister. Oh yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry. Viv. So let's just go back to that last slide. Viv. Uh, that those are our four points. Okay. Let's lock them in. This is like our formula for staying grounded and strong. Uh, Winston Churchill onto the next slide. And wonderful Vivian is uh, our cottage meeting manager and mom's link manager from San Antonio, Texas. She's our behind the scenes woman making all this happen. So our, the quote from Winston Churchill said, and I believe we read this quote last week, there is no doubt that it is around the family and the home that all the greatest virtues, the most dominating virtues of human society are created and strengthened and maintained. It is in the home, mamas, where character is molded where patterns are formed and habits are established. There is no place like home for these things to occur. And that is the name of our lesson today. I love that. Okay, um, babe, we can pull that down. I love Abraham Lincoln has said, all that I am or ever hoped to be was because of my angel mother and what he learned probably within the humble four walls of their a little poor little home. I think he was born in Kentucky. So this will be our discussion today, introducing the significant role of home and family in society today. Why is home so significant to society? It is because that is where the shaping of faith, virtue, and patriotism occur. These three pillars of liberty are best anchored at home. So if home is the center of society, women are the center of 
our home. So what we teach and nurture in our home truly becomes the future of America. So if we want freedom and liberty to prevail, it must begin at home because there's no place like home to teach these things. So mamas, there is a, a five minute video that we're gonna show you now from our fearless president, Kimberly Fletcher, president of Moms for America. And it's entitled Liberty Begins at Home. So Viv, if you wanna pull up that uh, video here. An acquaintance of mine once shared a story with me of a trip he and his wife made. For ease in relaying the story, I'll just call them John and Sarah. John had a speaking engagement in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and his wife, Sarah, decided to accompany him on the trip. After careful consideration of times and flight options, John and Sarah chose a flight and purchased their plane tickets. Traveling by air from the West Coast to the East Coast almost always means a stopover in Atlanta. Such was the case with their flight. When they arrived in Atlanta, they checked their connector flight, made sure they had everything in order, and headed for the appropriate gate to board their plane. About an hour outside of Fayetteville, the flight attendant came over the intercom to let them know they would soon be in Fayetteville, North Carolina. John and Sarah were startled when the woman beside them suddenly burst out, Fayetteville, North Carolina? I don't want to go to North Carolina. I want to go to Arkansas. John and Sarah wondered how the woman could possibly be so far off course. She explained that when she ordered her tickets, she simply said that she wanted to go to Fayetteville, not realizing there was more than one Fayetteville. The woman said that she was scheduled to speak at a conference in Fayetteville, Arkansas the next day, and they were counting on her being there. They'd already paid to have her come, and this was a very important engagement. John and Sarah tried to comfort the woman and said that they would try and help her get to her destination. When the plane arrived at the gate, John and Sarah walked with the woman to the flight desk and explained the situation. The man at the desk told them that there were no more flights going to Arkansas that evening and that he could get her on a flight the next morning, but it wouldn't arrive until 10.50 in the morning. That's too late, the woman explained. I need to be there at 10 a.m. for a speaking engagement. The woman, struck with panic on her face, asked about a rental car. John and Sarah felt helpless as they explained it would be at least a 15-hour drive. And even if she drove straight through the night, she would never make it in time. The woman dropped in her chair, cupping her face in her hands. How could this happen, she said to herself. How could I let this happen? And that brings up a very good question. How could she let this happen? She, just like John and Sarah, had to arrange for her flight. She had to purchase her tickets. She had to check in at the airport. She had to go to the gate. She even had to check her connecting flight. At every step of the way, the signs were telling her Fayetteville, North Carolina. And yet she still thought she was going toward Fayetteville, Arkansas. All the signs were there. And yet she didn't know where she was going. Just like in this story, it is important that we know where we're going as a people, as a nation. I think if you asked most Americans where they wanted to go, they would say freedom. And yet most of us are traveling in the opposite direction. The signs are everywhere in the Declaration of Independence, in the Constitution of the United States, in the writings of our founding fathers, in state mottos and constitutions, in monuments and public buildings all over the country. The pattern for establishing and maintaining a free people has been clearly marked and laid out for us, and yet we disregard it, thinking we know a better way to get to freedom. There is much danger in this. I have a friend who is very skilled and talented at crochet. She has crocheted beautiful things, from tablecloths to baby clothes. I am absolutely awed by her work. She told me she began at a young age practicing with simple patterns until she developed her skill and could move on to more advanced ones. After following various patterns and even creating some of her own for several years, she decided one day to just try to crochet without a pattern. She would just start crocheting and do whatever she wanted and make it up as she went. The final product was much different than what she was used to seeing. The stitches were odd shaped. Some were so tight they would break the threads. Others were so loose they looked as if they would unravel at any moment. In short, what she intended as a doily was nothing but a mismatched wad of string. It was a stark contrast to the beautiful tablecloth she had completed just a few weeks before with the aid of a pattern. My friend said she was struck by the difference. 
She said, when you are adding those small little stitches outlined in the pattern, it doesn't seem like it will create something so magnificent. But when you randomly start stitching, you realize just how important each of those steps in the pattern is. Our founding families left us a pattern. They are small and simple steps, but each is vital to the preservation of liberty. Without the pattern, we may get fragments of freedom or spurts of liberty, but it will not be enough to sustain a free people and secure the blessings of liberty. If we want lasting results, we need to follow the pattern, the pattern that led to the freest, most prosperous nation on earth. Okay. What did you like about that video? Feel free to put it in the chat. So what do you consider to be some of the patterns of liberty that our founding fathers left us? These, these steps, uh, this kind of, you know, pattern in order to be able to perpetuate what, what they gave us. When we know and understand the patterns of faith that were embedded in through God's law in the Declaration of Independence, natural law. Did you know Thomas Jefferson, when he wrote the Declara Declaration of Independence, he used the word God or natural law or nature's law five times he wove that into that document. When we understand the impetus behind moral governance, being able to be governed by the voice of man and understanding, they understood that a virtuous people an honest and moral and upright people would be able to govern themselves and they would stay virtuous as they lived the patterns of faith that were found in God's law. That's another pattern. And they also understood that in order to maintain this Republic, people needed to be dedicated and committed. And that would look in a form of allegiance and patriotism towards, you know, this, this Republic, which they had established can you see and recognize how these three pillars, faith, virtue, and patriotism are patterns. They provide the foundation of liberty to grow and to prosper. And we are actually going to study that's lesson four, five, and six. We take each one of those virtues, the foundation of faith, the valor of virtue, and the power of patriotism. And, and we talk about how to teach uh, those pillars to our children and grandchildren. Viv, do you have the next slide? In the book, The Raising of the Next uh, Generation of Patriots, right now we're redoing, we're just having it reconfigured a little bit, but this is what the book looks like. You can find this book online in an ebook form uh, at our momsforamerica.us right now. This will be coming out very shortly. I mean, just within a few months. It's a short little book. It's a great little book. It talks in chapter two about this garden of liberty that our founding fathers gave us. And they left us detailed notes and advice. And, it, and, and they put it in this book that they told us what pests and bugs to be on guard against. They described the symptoms of disease and how to treat it before it caused too much damage. Now, I think some of their notes and advice they left us certainly is in those inspired documents, the Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers. There's also another wonderful book. I just couldn't find these two little books because they're small and misplaced them. But George Washington wrote a beautiful book called The Rules of Civility, how we should treat uh, our fellow uh, neighbors and citizens. Uh, I, you can get that on Amazon for $6.99. All the little resources I share with you will be under lesson number two online. Wait until Monday, all the resources will be up and you can just actually click. But imagine if you read one of George Washington's rules for civility every day while your children were eating breakfast or you'd include it in a little text to your adult children or something. Also, Benjamin Franklin in his notes and advice to us, establishing patterns of, of good behavior that would ensure and help us to keep this uh, republic of ours. He wrote a book, Benjamin Franklin, called The Book on Virtues. There were 13 virtues. 
he tried to live by each day and he would actually have a little checklist. And we, when we talk about them in, in one of the upcoming lessons, but Benjamin Franklin's book of virtues, I think it's 499 on Amazon. These are wonderful things to read to your children and to have discussions on. And then of course, Thomas Jefferson, the Jefferson Bible, you know, we know the patterns of, of righteousness and, and morality and decency in which he knew needed to exist in this country to maintain a, a free nation. And so, you know, these are some of their notes and advices uh, that you can find and, and discover the patterns and then apply them as you teach your children and your grandchildren. In their writings, they focus on soil preparation, if you will. They knew that the secret behind the miracle of America had everything to do with the hearts, had everything to do with the hearts and the character of her citizens. Viv, let's have the next um, slide there. Principle number two in the 5,000 year leap. Let's see there says, and you know how I love this book, The 5,000 Year Leap, says the best way to ensure that this republic survives under a Republican constitution is for the people to remain virtuous and morally strong. I didn't quite say that right. A free people cannot survive under a Republican constitution unless they remain morally strong and virtuous. That means we need to be faithful and moral and true and upright. And the best way to teach these attributes is in the home. Mamas, don't underestimate the power of simple routines to develop these attributes. Now, in the supplemental material in the presentation, there's an article called Simplicity with Perseverance. And in this article, we're reminded that out of simple and small things come great things. You know, it's not easy, mamas, I get it, to bring your family together for family dinner when everyone's schedules as they get a little older becomes disjointed or to gather them for a morning prayer or a nightly prayer or even to gather them for a little devotional where you study scripture or teach us uh, something, you know, from history. But it's in these consistent small moments and activities that you will anchor a desire in them to want to live freely according to their conscience and the values that you are instilling. So just about two weeks ago, my oldest boy, who's 23 years old, he's in the NBA. He's going on his fifth year in that world. He came home because they're just getting ready to start the season. And uh, once the season starts, he says, the NBA owns me for seven months. He can't go anywhere. Every couple of days, he's on an airplane. To, he was just in Memphis on Monday. He just flew in to New York City at 5 a.m. yesterday after the game in Memphis. They got on the plane, flew all night, got into New York at 5 a.m. And so that's his life. And, and my boys, we're just getting ready now to drive on up to see the game tonight in Madison Square Garden. So bless his heart, he came home about two weeks ago because this is the last time he'll be able to be home for about seven months. And he got home a little late after dinner. And so I made him a little plate and I just sat down with him as he ate and he began to cry. My big, strong, strapping boy. And he said, oh, I just wanted to come home, mom, because I'm not going to be able to be here. And, and um, you know, it, it's... Um, it's a, it's a magnificent opportunity this young boy has been given to do what he does, but it's not an easy world he has to navigate given how he's been raised. And he said, you know, I sometimes just wish I could just do some of the things that the other guys on the team do. But he said, I can't, mom, because of how I've been raised. He said, I love God and I cannot do some of those things and feel good about it. And it reminded me of this thought that as you do these small, consistent things in your home to pray, to teach them the word, to study the word, it anchors them. It anchors the values in them. It anchors a love of the things that you're teaching them deep within them. Frederick Douglass, Viv, do you have that next slide? Said, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Why spend all our time trying to fix the broken men and women in Washington, D.C., when we can exert our energies building strong children who will transform 
Washington, D.C., and even the world. You know, Frederick Douglass here, I always love his wonderful hair, is a hero in my family. We have spoken about Frederick Douglass uh, for years to our children in our family devotionals. I think some of you know my husband is Black, so our children are biracial for all intents and purposes. I think the world considers them Black. I think they consider themselves Black with a white mother. I always chuckle at that. Doesn't even matter. We love Frederick Douglass for many reasons, but we taught him, um, we taught our kids his life story. It's powerful. Mamas, make your children familiar with the stories of courageous and stable and strong heroes in history, people that they can emulate and aspire to. These kind of people who are focused on the victories to be had, not the grievances or the atrocities that have occurred, which so many modern figures in the public are peddling nowadays. So Frederick Douglass was born a slave and he would go on to become though a great social reformer, an abolitionist, an orator, a writer, a statesman. He was a lover, just a second, we'll get to that, Bib. He was a lover of the constitution. You're doing great, Bib. <laughs> he said the constitution was a pro-freedom document because it says that all men were created equal and all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So Frederick, as a young uh, slave child, he was born a slave. He was taken from his mother at a young age, and he only has a few memories of his mama. She lived miles away on another plantation. And just a few times in his life, he remembers she must have walked half the night to come and to lie down with him in the middle of the night. And she would call him, he remembers, her little Valentine. And he says, I, and this is in his autobiography, he says, I never knew what my birthday was, but I'm guessing it was Valentine's Day because the few memories I have of her, she would call me my little Valentine. Woo, that gets me. So Frederick Douglass would actually escape from slavery as a young man, and he would go on to become a national leader. President Lincoln, until he met Frederick Douglass, wanted to free the slaves, but he wanted them, he wanted to move them to the Caribbean or places like that uh, to, uh, after he freed them. But when uh, Frederick Douglass met Lincoln, he changed President Lincoln's mind because Lincoln realized Black people had great intelligence and capacity needed to be free and independent American citizens. So Viv, let's show that next slide. So Frederick Douglass's home stands today in Anacostia, Washington, DC. It's called Cedar Hills and it overlooks um, the Capitol and it's high on a hill. It's magnificent. There's a visitor center and you can tour that original home there. We've taken our kids there several times and you can just feel the strength and the spirit of this man as you walk those halls and you go into his office and library put this on your bucket list mom it's a beautiful place to visit in Washington DC so he would marry Anna who was a free black woman at the time when he was a young man and they went on Frederick Douglass to have five children and um and so I do believe yes Frederick Douglass it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men and this mothers and grandmas is going to require our time and our sweat and our commitment like none other, but it will bring the dividends that we need to maintain this republic. So how are you? How are you building strong children and strong grandchildren? Put in the chat one or two things that you're doing to follow this admonition of Frederick Douglass. Then let's see that next slide. I want to recommend you watching this Ben Carson uh, address that he gave in 2013 at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, DC. Now, um, we'll give you the link uh, uh, under the resources and maybe Viv, you can even put in the link in the chat, but, but we'll send it, it will be on our Moms for America um, website under lesson number two, there's no place like home, this link, you can find it, or you can just Google it, Ben Carson, that's the easiest, Ben Carson, National Day of Prayer 2013. So President Obama 
Vice President Biden and the First Lady um, Michelle Obama were in attendance at this prayer breakfast. And it's a 27 minute speech that Ben Carson gave. And he spoke on the importance of education and the influence of mother and a return to the principles and values that made America uh, the freest and most prosperous nation on the earth. Now this speech went viral. I watched it the other day when I was on the treadmill and it just goes to show that you can be in class, in the car, on the treadmill, wherever, when you're listening to good things like this 27 minute speech. So at the seven minute mark of this speech, he begins to talk about his mother and it's so sweet and it's really quite funny how he uh, recalls some memories. Now, many people lashed out uh, Ben Carson for this speech because he, I really don't think he's disrespectful at all, but they thought that he was to President Biden that was right there on the panel as he spoke. And I love, first of all, Ben Carson's response when they thought that, you know, it was inappropriate what he said with President Obama right there. He said, I, this is Ben Carson responding to, you know, his speech afterwards. He said, I always pray before I give a speech and I ask God to give me the right things to say. He said, it's very rare nowadays for people to speak the truth because everybody just wants to go along. But in the meantime, the fabric of our nation is being destroyed. So watch this when you get a chance this week, this Ben Carson 2013 National Prayer Breakfast speech. I didn't find anything controversial. I found it inspiring and motivating and patriotic. And I loved how he talked about his mother. So we know Ben Carson would go on to become the head of the neurosurgery for Johns Hopkins University. And at the young age of 33, he was the first to separate conjoined twins at the back of the neck. Now, Ben Carson would go on to run for president, if you remember, in 2016, and he ultimately would become the head of the housing and urban development under President Trump's administration for four years, 2016 to 2020. Um, We saw Ben Carson and his wife, Candy, just a few weeks ago, me and my husband did in the airport, and my husband chatted with him a little bit. I think they rubbed shoulders just a little bit before, and um, and he my husband made a joke and he said, Ben, why aren't you, you know, flying out on your private jet? And his wife, Candy said, Hey, we're just retirement government workers. You know, (laughs) we don't do anything private. And so bless their hearts. It looked like he was dressed up and ready to fly off somewhere to speak, but a true public servant, um, he and his wife, Candy schlepping through the airport, you know, speaking on these principles of liberty and freedom So Carson came from an impoverished um, projects of Detroit. So I have a boy, my Frankie, who's 23, lives in Detroit. And every time I go visit Detroit, I'm I'm surprised how many streets and schools and libraries are named after Ben Carson. They are proud of this native son. So as a young boy, Viv, do you have, um, yeah, as a young boy, he's not so young there, but he and his brother were raised by this beautiful single mama of his. This little mama, Sonia John Carson, was the, um, she was one out of 26 children in her home. And she married at age 13, his mama. And when she learned that her husband was a bigamist already married, they divorced and she raised those two sons by herself. Now, she only had a third grade education and she worked many jobs to keep that little family going. She'd work morning jobs and evening jobs. So she wasn't there a lot. But during the summer, she still ran a tight ship, I can tell. During the summer, summer, she allowed the boys to only watch a few TV shows a week. And she would make the boys each week go to the Detroit library and get two books. And she made them read two books a week and write reports. Now, the funny thing is, mama wasn't literate, she couldn't read or write. But boys didn't know that she'd take the reports and she'd put a little highlighter and she put little checks and highlight. Before long, Ben Carson went from hating to read to loving to read. He said he could go anywhere with a book. It helped him escape the dire poverty they were living in, helped him to overcome prejudices, to learn to control his emotions through reading. He went from being the worst student in the class to the best student by the time he graduated. 
Ben Carson. Do you have that other slide, Viv? He's also uh, written uh, two books, actually, one called Gifted Hands, about how he overcame the obstacles to become this renowned brain surgeon and how his mother never lost faith in him and how she helped grow his imagination and intelligence and mostly his belief in himself and gave him the courage to follow opportunities that she, I'm sure, never had. Now, this book, The Gifted Hands, has been made into a movie with Cuba Gooding. And so it's a great book to read to your children or to watch uh, a movie night with your kids, Gifted Hands. Ben Carson would also go on to write this uh, book called America the Beautiful, in which he calls us all to use our God-given talents to improve our lives and our communities and our nations. No doubt, moms, he learned these things from his mother who established these patterns and habits in him that shaped his life and help determine his destiny. So in the chat, we could have a discussion if you were all in my front room here. What do you like about what his mother did? What influence do you think she had, this humble little mama uh, had on this renowned brain surgeon? And, and what do you think we can do to help our kids speak and stand for truth and aspire for greatness now as he goes around the country uh, speaking on so Viv, let's look at our next slide. Just questions to ruminate on. Uh, another principle in the 5,000 year leap, number 26 says that the core unit which determines the strength of any society is the family. Therefore the government should foster and protect its integrity. Mamas, I love this principle. I use this principle all the time. I source it, I, I cite it, I, I quote it. Uh, I, I think, I want you to know, you've heard me say these principles, when you speak on principle, you speak with greater strength and authority rather than just speaking on emotion, fear and anger. So I memorized these 28 principles. This is a little bookmark that I got from the nccs.net, the National Center for Constitutional Studies.net. Um, maybe put that in the chat, the nccs.net. If you Google it, you can order these little bookmarks. They're, they're, I think they're free if you buy something or they're, they're like, the cost is so minimal. I think I ordered like a hundred bookmarks and I put them everywhere. And every book I had this bookmark with the little 28 principles on the back. And I began to memorize one every couple of days principles. And I have these memorized now. So when I'm right in the midst of a conversation and it's getting quite emotional, if I, I think to myself, what principle applies? And I use that principle and it changes the tone in the conversation. So just last week, I was interviewed and maybe Delane is on the call. She um, does a radio show and a podcast called Liberty Moms. And she called and interviewed me and she wanted to talk uh, about, about a week or so ago, the head of the National School Board Association, Mr. Merrick Garland, have you heard of him? Maybe you've heard about this uh, controversy on the news right now. He heads up this association and he uh, joined with the DOJ, the Department of Justice and the FBI to go after parents <laughs> to prosecute them for any parent that speaks out against mask mandates or critical race th theory at school boards and to treat them as terrorists. And so she wanted to know what I thought about that. Kimberly Fletcher, our, mom, our president of Moms for America, actually wrote a mom's memo um, in response to uh, what he threatened to do to prosecute parents as terrorists for speaking <laughs> the school board against our concerns. So I was asked this question in the interview. And the way I responded was this principle. I quoted principle number 26. 
And how I said the founders intended for families to be involved, to be strong, to have a say about their children. You have strong families. That's what makes strong societies. You have strong societies. That's what makes strong nations. They would be in favor of parents going and and, and expressing their concern to the school boards. And uh, we learn in the healing of America that our founders wanted not only knowledge to be taught in schools, but morality and um, uh, religion, religion, morality, and knowledge. And so imagine going and explaining and speaking that principle to the school board. So whenever you're in a position and you can feel your little spine, your spine stiffening and your you know, emotions rising, if you can remember and you have these 28 principles memorized, it will completely change the tone of the conversation because principles, remember, are universal. They're eternal. They really transcend party and politics. Those, these principles are powerful. So what are some of the dangers that we're seeing in our society from the breakdown of the family? And what can we do? We know the government should be fostering and protecting its integrity, but if they don't, what can we do to foster and protect the integrity of the family and our parental rights as parents to speak up when we're concerned about what's going on in school systems and so forth in society? Okay, you can put that in the chat if you want, or you can just think about that. So I give questions uh, throughout our class and uh, as an example, if you, if you were in a cottage meeting and teaching this little lesson, you would stop, you would, you would have discussion about this story of Ben Carson. You would have discussion about the breakdown of the family and what we can do to foster and protect its integrity. Okay, Viv, let's look at the next slide. The Bible, we always go to the word. That is our strongest anchors. Uh, the, the Bible verses go along. Let's look at, at these verses that go along with our lesson today. Let's see where we're at here. In James 1, 25, it tells us about the perfect law of liberty to be doers of the work. It says in James 1, 25, I think God is telling us freedom isn't free. You're going you're gonna to have to work for this liberty to be a doer to maintain it. In Galatians 5.13, we're told we've been called into liberty to serve and to love one another. Does that mean possibly to have freedom? We can't hate others. We can't hate a country. We have to serve and we have to love to be able to maintain maximum freedom and liberty. In Titus 2.4, God tells us, he speaks to young women. He says, young women, be sober, love your husbands and your children. Now, what does that have to do with liberty? It has everything to do with liberty in principle 26 to create strong families, women. We have to love our husbands. We have to cleave unto them. We have to love our children. Strong families make strong nations. Leviticus 10, 11 tells us to teach your children the statutes which the Lord gave Moses. Teach them God's law. Teach them out of the Holy Bible, the commandments. This is best done in the home. And then in Deuteronomy 11, 19, we're told to teach your children in your houses, when you walk with them, when you lay down with them, when you rise up with them, teach them to love freedom, to love liberty, to love God, to love others. And we do that in the home or when we're with them. What are some of the best ways <laughs> that we teach them? Sometimes it's in the car. Sometimes it's, you, you, you know, mostly it will be in the four walls of your home because you got them captured there. But what do these verses mean to you, mamas? How can we promote the cause of liberty within our home according to these verses in the Bible? So there's another article in our supplemental material. I'm just leading you right along through this lesson here today. This article is entitled, Liberty Begins at Home. So all these little articles that I refer to are found in lesson two, There's No Place Like Home. And in this article, it tells about how after that long, hot summer of debating uh, the Constitution in Philadelphia in 1787 from May until September, 
At the end of the debates, Congress approved the Constitution. And as Benjamin Franklin, who was the oldest delegate, I think he was 81 at the time, uh, at that convention, was walking out of Independence Hall with his little cane, probably, there was a woman. And it, I always think it would be a woman who had asked this question because women, we see the big picture and we are concerned most immediately how decisions impact our future generations. This woman asked, sir, what did you give us? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it, ma'am. We forgot the ma'am were there. A republic, if you can keep it, ma'am. How profound those words would be. He knew that keeping this republic would be hard work and we would need a firm understanding of liberty and an unwavering commitment to the cause. Now, our, our founding fathers knew firsthand the oppression under King George III in England. Uh, and they also knew the failings of a democracy. Now, a true democracy is where the majority rules and it's often based on feelings, not the rule of law, but feelings and it's kind of mob rule. So while the world looks to America as a symbol of democracy, because the voice of the people are preeminent, the secret of our success is really a combination of self-governance and representative government. America is not a democracy, mamas. It's a republic. And you can call it a democratic republic in as much as everyone can come and vote, but we're voting for uh, one person then to go represent us. This divinely perfect combination is what is best to promote freedom and individual rights, this representative form of government called a republic. And it was first instituted in Exodus 18 when Moses instituted the first form of representative government. Go and, and, and check it out in Exodus 18. So today, many people are blaming the predicament of our country on the president or Congress or government. Some are even blaming the police, racism, uh, white supremacy. Uh, some are blaming social media, mainstream media. To really get rid of the garden of noxious weeds, we can't just cut off their stems and put new people in office. We really have to go to the root. So maybe the problem isn't really an out of control government. Maybe the problem is that Americans are not acting American. We're not embracing the divine heritage of liberty. We don't know our magnificent providential history and we're not fulfilling our civic duty. The harsh reality is if we don't like what is going on in our nation today, we only have us to blame. Now, Gerald, I hope I'm not gonna make you feel uncomfortable, but you're doing so many beautiful things. I'm just going to share one more thing that Gerald from um, New Jersey, one of our moms from America, as I had dinner with her, me and my husband in New York City uh, last Friday, she was worried um, uh, about the abortion clinics in her state and wanting to defend, you know, the nobility of life. She, for the last 14 years, every Saturday at 8 a.m., spends about three, three and a half hours before the various abortion clinics around um, her area in New Jersey. And she is handed out and she's, I'm sure she's formed a beautiful coalition of friends that do this every Saturday. So when I asked her what she was doing, she, she told me, well, tomorrow I'm, I'm going to the abortion clinic I have for 14 years. And she hands out literature to people going into the clinic. She has a conversation. She told me about what she says, and it's getting harder and harder to be able to have conversations because they're making you know, barriers to get to the people going into these clinics. But she said, there's always a group of people across the street that are just there praying, praying for those people going in that their hearts will be touched. And I thought, you know, she's an example. If we don't like, if we're concerned about what is going on in our country, we have to rise up and do something. And what a beautiful example that was from her doing something. So yes, mamas, there are many forces working against us, but in the end, we are the keepers of the flame. If our schools are not teaching what we want 
our children to be taught about American history or values or morality, we need to be doing it. So what are some of the ways that we can work together as families in your home to keep this republic? What are some of the ways that we can shore them up to love this country? Viv, let's have the next little slide there. So you've heard me talk about a little family devotional that we do in our home. Let's see, what is that? Well, that doesn't hardly look like the devotional. Oh, there you go, that's the devotional. Okay, I think I know why um, that the picture was put in there. So, you know, most three out of the five kids have left our home. But they grew up gathering together in the mornings where we would study a little scripture and we teach us some principles of, uh, from history. And so all of them gathered together again two months ago. We all met at the beach uh, for a week. And of course, we had our little devotional in the morning. And before we go off to the beach, we would gather together and my husband was leading the devotional that morning and he had all the kids turn to Isaiah 51.1. And he wanted to teach them uh, from that scripture about the rock from which they were hewn. And we talked about coming back to our roots, remembering who we are. Now, two months ago, this summer was the Olympics. And as my husband and I watched, we weren't exactly pleased with some of the behavior of the Olympians. And so he, my husband, took this as an opportunity to teach them about some uh, track stars, black track stars who lived and competed in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, who lived at a time of true racism. And so, um, Viv, let's get that next slide up. Thanks, Hen. He, taught, he told two stories of two Olympians uh, the first one was Jesse Owens, who competed, I believe, in 1936 in Berlin, Germany. Now, right before one of his races, someone stole his shoes, and he had to actually run in a pair of borrowed shoes, and he would later find those shoes in the garbage. Adolf Hitler was in the stands when Jesse Owens ran that race in Germany, and he won it. And so when he uh, went to go stand on the podium to claim his gold medal and to salute, proudly salute the flag as the national anthem was played, Adolf Hitler left the stadium. A few decades later in the 50s and 60s, a woman by the name of Wilma Rudolph, she came from a large poor family and she actually wore braces on her little legs till she was 12 years old, some of the effects of polio. She would actually run her first race at 16. And at 20, she proudly represented the United States of America, winning several medals as well. Jesse Owens, I think, won four gold medals. And I believe Wilma Randolph one for also. My husband taught these stories in our family devotional, and he reminded the kids that Jesse and Wilma, they didn't let the disadvantages, any disadvantages they might have had at that time in the history of our country or any stress or any racism stop them from overcoming. They actually paved the way for future Black American athletes to compete and to proudly represent their nation to the world. So when we teach our children stories, teach them stories of victories that have, have been achieved, not the atrocities that occurred. Because as we teach them the victories of those that overcame you know, great trials and odds, it will deepen our child's reservoir to draw upon when adversity and pressures in their life occur. So instead of them thinking that they are victims, uh, they will think of themselves as victors of overcoming, of wanting to lift others up as others have gone on to do before them. If our children are to be happy warriors and patriots, it's because we've raised them to be this way. We have taught them these things in the home. Same with the Constitution, mamas and the founding fathers. If we want our children to know and understand the Constitution and to reflect revere our founding fathers. It's because we are teaching them. If they love America, it is because we are showing or have showed them through our actions what pride and patriotism looks like. 
Now, mamas, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, man, my kids are out of the home. I blew it. It's too late. Mothers, it's never too late. You always will have children until you're six feet under, regardless of what their ages are. And you will probably have grandchildren. You can begin to do certain things that God will put in your heart. Just doing the coming to this class and then sharing with your children. I take an online class to learn principles of liberty and freedom. And this is what I learned this week. And even if they go, oh, mom, that's not true. And they, you know, mock you. You keep doing it. You keep sharing with them. You maybe send them a little something via text or, or you, you know, buy little books for your grandchildren when they come over about America. And you build your I Love America library. And you snuggle with those grandchildren. And you teach them these principles when you can. It's never too late, mamas and grandmas, to begin to teach these things to your rising generations. Uh, uh, Viv, if we could have our last slide. Alex de Tocqueville, that great man who wrote Democracy in America that came over in the early 1800s and wanted to know why this country was doing so well. It was just a new little country, but we were like a, a model to the world our constitution was. He said, America is great because she is good. And if, Mer and if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. It is not our government or our wealth or the rich soil that ensures our greatness and ensures our freedom. It is our goodness. If we cease to be good, this American experience will run its course, mamas. But it hasn't because you are here today. And I dare say there are armies of mothers like you and they might just not know where to go. Make sure you share with your friends and your family and your loved ones. Come learn these things. There are women that feel the way we do. This feeling is rising up in homes, I believe, all across America. The spirit of America is alive. It just needs to be awakened. And I hope that this is our personal quest because there is no place like home for this to happen, for this to awaken, to be awakened in the hearts of our children. Yes, mama, liberty begins at home and we hold the keys. We are the keepers of the flame and we must do everything in our power to pass on that flame to make sure that it burns bright and that it can and that we continue to be a light on on the hill and a beacon of hope not only to the world but just within the four walls of our home or our neighborhoods or within our school systems and communities and states and nations so my beautiful mamas i'm trying to see what time we've got here we are at the end of our presentation today 